guys, welcome back to our fourth week in a series we're calling Big Truths and Little Packages, our excursion through 2nd and 3rd John, Jude and Philemon. So tonight is our second time to look at John's third letter. Uh, he wrote five books, Revelation, the Gospels of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It is believed that Revelation's the one he wrote first. Then he wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote 1st John, he wrote 2nd John, and wrote 3rd John. It's believed 3rd John is actually the last book chronologically in terms of time in which it was written in the Bible. So um, last words are real important, right? Amen. So what were his last words? What's the last <laughs> words in the canonized scriptures for us today? And so we're going to look at that and we'll take off where Tom began and just reread those verses. The elder, which we believe is John, introducing himself to the beloved Gaius. Now Gaius is a guy that all of us want to be like. <laughs> guy, us, that's the easiest way to remember that. He's the guy we all want to be like. Whom I love in truth. He truly loves him. And then he calls him beloved. And then he prays his prayer for him. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That's his prayer. Now, uh, the King James translates it a little different. Uh, this is the New King James. The King James says, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And so if you look at it like that, it appears that this guy's prosperity is more important than anything. I pray above all things. But I really think the New King James, he's saying, I pray that you prosper in all things, that, that your prosperity exceeds your money, that it affects your health, and it definitely reflects your soul prospering. Now, this is his prayer, but I've heard it quoted and preached as though it's a prophecy, where the Lord says... The Lord is praying that we prosper above all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. If you believe that, it's fine. I'm not going to break fellowship with you. It's not a, anything to pick on anybody about. But I just want you to kind of look at this as a prayer that the Holy Spirit inspired to be included in the Scriptures, praying for this person to prosper. So that when you face a trial and you don't see yourself prospering in all things or you don't see yourself prospering above all things, that you don't get condemned. Well, I'm not walking in the Word. Look at my life. No, this is a prayer. What is prayer for? Prayer is to ask for things that are not yet. Right? And it can involve calling them as though they were, even though they're not yet. So, by all means, pray the Scriptures. Claim the promises. But you've got to see this is, this is a prayer Whereas John 3.16 is a promise. Did you see that? There's prayers and promises. We pray for promises to be fulfilled. We pray for prayers to be answered. So this is a prayer that we pray for. So it's a prayer to pray for someone else. Gaius is praying for this person's prosperity. So it is biblical to pray for someone's Prosperity, someone's health, 
and by all means that they would prosper even as their soul prospers. Uh, your soul can refer to the whole person. If a ship sank and 150 lives were lost, the newspaper might say 150 souls drowned in the sea. Because the word soul means life. But yet it can also refer to our mind, right? The seed of our soul, mind, will, and emotions. But it can also refer to us as a whole. And yet... When we get saved, our soul, how many souls got saved last night at church? You know what I mean? It alludes to our spirit because the soul is where the spirit connects to the body through the soul. The Holy Spirit connects to our spirit, and our spirit connects to our soul, and our soul connects to our body. And so who's going to dominate? Um, we can be in conflict. Our, our soul can want to read and watch a movie. Our spirit might want to pray, and our body might want to eat. And so uh, I believe the prosperity of the soul involves letting our spirit be fed with the presence of God, the principles of God, and praying and drawing near to God. So that is more important than everything, that as our soul prospers, that, that uh, everything else would line up with that. Verse 3, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Now, just like in our day, in his day, it's been, uh, you know, going on 50 years from the resurrection, around 90 AD when this was written. And so there's all kinds of theories being pushed by people that didn't know Jesus, people that weren't eyewitnesses of Jesus, people that were mixing in their pagan religions with their Christianity. We still have this going on today. And so he rejoiced that Gaius and the people associated with his ministry were holding on to the truth. So you could say Gaius' soul was prospering. Whereas if Gaius was dabbling in witchcraft, he could be a millionaire, but his soul wouldn't be prospering. See what I mean? So Gaius' soul was prospering because he was walking in truth. I rejoice greatly when brethren came, so there's people that traveled, and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. Now, our faith is tested when we don't have all the facts, right? But... In our day and time, we had the benefit of cell phones and, and instant communication so we can find out how somebody's doing. In his day and time, they'd have to wait, wait weeks to hear back from somebody. You mail your letter, and who knows when it's going to come back. You know, maybe the guy got killed on the way. Maybe they never, never, you know, maybe they're not serving the Lord. Maybe they followed the error of Balaam and got into, you know, selling God's blessings or whatever they were doing. So when he finally does get word, can you imagine how happy he was? Yes, some more of my converts are still following the real Jesus. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, that's his spiritual children, walk in truth. As Tom exhorted us last week, we should walk in the truth in spite of what everybody else is doing. Beloved, now here he goes back again. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. 
Now, in the days of the Roman Empire, uh, they, it, Greek became the language of the world, and the commerce of the world traveled down Roman roads. The Greeks gave the world its language. The Romans gave the world their roads, and they built roads at last that are still there to this day. Um, going all the way back to Rome, Gary and Lori Zeger, Lori's our secretary, Gary's one of our good brothers here, uh, they just got back from a trip that his job sent them on to Rome. And they walked on streets that were dated B.C. So people are traveling all over the place, and so Christians that are on the road, uh, where are they going to stay? In these Gentile countries, a lot of the hotels were not places for Christians to stay. There were strange noises at night. They were no-tail motels. Some of them were brothels. Some of them were, you know, you don't stay the whole night. Just how, how many hours do you need this room for? <laughs> so it was, it was good not to stay in a hotel. So it was great when Christians would offer hospitality to other Christians. So this was part of the purpose of the letters of commendations that they would send to people. Here I have a letter from John. I'm legit. Kind of like uh, occasionally when, a, when one of our members changes churches. It doesn't happen very often. It did a lot years ago. But we hear from that church, hey, so-and-so is going to your church here. Could you send us a letter of recommendation? And it's always my joy to do so. Um, anyway, so he's rejoicing not only that they're walking in truth, but that they're helping other people to walk in truth so that when they're traveling, um, they, they do kind deeds for these brothers and for strangers. And some of these strangers were actually men that taught the word. Some of these congregations would only have one set of scriptures, maybe. A couple of the apostles' epistles, maybe one of the gospels, and maybe one Old Testament, maybe one copy of the, of the Torah, if they were lucky. So traveling ministers were real important because they traveled with books that helped other people to read and preached and taught the truth, and eyewitnesses of Jesus, and John was certainly one of those guys. And getting up in years, he was part of sending guys out doing that same thing to strengthen the church. Uh, we're blessed by the guests, at least I'm blessed by the guest ministers we have. It gives me a break, and I get fed too. And so this is happening in his day, and Gaius and his guys are faithful to take care of these brothers that are traveling through these strangers that have a ministry of teaching. And so word has gotten back to John. He says, these people have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. In other words, send them on, but don't send them empty-handed. Because they went forth for his name's sake. These people that are traveling and ministering, they went forth for the name of the Lord's sake taking nothing from the Gentiles. They're not asking the world for a dime, but they're dependent on the charity of the saints, the giving of the church, to help support their ministry, like missionaries. So thank you so much for supporting these guys, because they're not going to be receiving money from unbelievers. Does that make sense? Clear as mud? We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So in terms of mission, there's praying, and there's going, and there's sending. 
And we all have a part in world evangelization. It's on our shoulders. What are we doing? Are we part of sending? Yeah, go on. Or part of sending? Yeah, here, let me help you go on. Um, Are we part of praying? Lord, I'm going to spend some time right now and pray for this missionary that you've laid on my heart. Are we laboring for the Lord to see the world reached with the gospel? As well as doing our own part in our own town. See what I mean? It's not just about Granberry or us four no more or Generations Church and what we got going on, but what does God have going on in the earth and what is our part to do with it? So he uh, encourages this, this brother who's walking in truth, who's helping the gospel spread by his care for other believers and strangers, and then he just makes a statement where he's including himself we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So the truth is spread through hard work. Uh, Terry Snow's here tonight preaching to our kids. And if you've read his book, it's hard work establishing God's kingdom. We work with the Lord. He enables us to do things, but it's hard work. Sometimes it might cost your life. And so this is this is a verse that we need to apply to our lives as much as verse two. Beware of just pulling out verse two and claiming it and not and ignoring the rest of the book. <laughs> What's the purpose of our prosperity? It's to receive people that are in ministry and to send them out with uh, in a manner worthy of God. Send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, so that we'll do well. And in so doing, we are fellow workers for the truth. Now he's going to speak about a guy that's not doing that. And it, before, but before we get that, here's, here's shifting. That's just been reviewing what we did last week. Uh, so we're going to fix to shift gears. But anybody have any input or comments thus far? I don't want to say something again unnecessarily. All right. I wrote to the church, verse 9, what did he write to the church? Could have been First John. Could have been the book we just finished last week or the book we finished the last few weeks. Wrote a book and sent it out to be distributed. But Diotrephes, who's a pastor of one of the house churches or one of the groups of house churches, But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Can you imagine rejecting one of the original apostles? Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words. So he's not just turning away John's letter, but he speaks ill of John. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So as Christians, we all have a certain responsibility to share in seeing the gospel spread and to do our part. And from time to time, people in our congregation will host a missionary or host a a minister. And sometimes... I don't even know the guy, or sometimes I do know the guy, and it's a great blessing to me personally when, when that is done. But this guy, 
not only turned John away, he turned John's followers away, and people in his church, he forbid them to have anything to do with John and his letters and John's people to the point if they did something nice for him, he kicked him out of his church. Yes. Question. Uh, the church back then at that time, was, was it established in the same kind of format as the synagogues? I mean, was there, you know, a, I mean, was the church was around about and everybody and they just sat down and prayed all night or, or was it, because it sounds like this guy is like a Sadducee or a Pharisee. Well, I don't know the answer to the question. I do know that when Paul would establish a church, he would always go to the Jew first, which meant going to the synagogue and reasoning with them until they kicked him out. And then he would leave with whatever converts he made and start meeting in someone's house. Uh, In the case of Lydia, they were meeting down by the river. And Lydia showed some hospitality to him. She was a seller of purple. So you could read these things. And he'd stay there for a period of months, discipling them, and then he would leave. Then with nobody in charge. This happened more than once in the book of Acts. And then go back some months or even a couple years later and then establish elders. What was he doing? Well, it's dangerous to make somebody an elder too quick. And in two years, it's obvious to everybody Somebody's eldering, so it became a no-brainer. All right, the group's still together. Who's eldering this thing? And go ahead. They matured. Yeah. So how Diotrephes got in his position, I'm not sure. We're not. We're going to flip on Diotrephes here in a few minutes. We're not going to beat on him the whole time. But right now, I do want to beat on him for a while. He's turning away John. Look at this. He wants to have the preeminence, so he doesn't receive John's ministry. And if John comes, he's going to call to mind his deeds, which he does. And here's what he does. He prays or speaks ill of John with malicious words. And he's not content with that. He doesn't receive the brothers, other guys that John's in relationship with. He doesn't receive their ministry and forbids people who want to receive their ministry and want want to help them and will even kick them out of the church, forbid them to come back to his synagogue house or whatever it is. This guy is what you call an autocrat, a dictator. Um, In the early days of our marriage, we were part of a church like that. Uh, For years here in Granbury, I've seen a couple churches kind of turn that way, where the leaders become real authoritarian, and forbid their members to have anything to do with ex-members. And I remember uh, we had a funeral here for an ex-member of another church in town. And the pastor forbid any of his members to come to that funeral. We had the funeral, we comforted the widow, and then I contacted the pastor. I said, what are you doing? He said, it's Ananias and Sapphira, man. Ananias and Sapphira, they're liars. They sinned against us. They this, they that. And so we can't have anything to do with them. I said, well, you need to go back and read Ananias and Sapphira. At least the apostles buried them. (laughs) And God's judgment on them was instant. 
It wasn't months after they left their church. They didn't leave their bodies there to rot. They gave them the dignity of a decent burial, right? You know, when they came walking in with their shovels, here's here's the wife ready to bury, you know. That, that's, a, that's a strange story in the Bible that only happened once. So you can't use it as a doctrine for kicking people out of your church and forbidding people to have anything to do with people that used to do in your church. Where's redemption in this thing? Now, I know the scriptures say not to keep company with someone called a brother who's immoral or who's a gossip or who's a thief or who's an extortionist. But I believe the application of that is a redemptive application. In other words, we don't have anything to do with those people in that we don't allow them to influence us. So we don't go on vacation with them or hang out with them. But, man, if you see them, at least show the love of God. Because eventually, out there alone, they're going to get tired and weary and want fellowship. And if somebody shows them some love, they're going to come running back to Jesus. But if we're just shunning them and we've judged them, pronounced judgment on them, and that's the end of the world, well, the Bible said they should be as publican and tax collectors to us. Yes. And what are we supposed to do to publicans and tax collectors? Shoot them? (laughs) Hate them? Pick them? Burn their house down? I mean, come on. There's got to be some wisdom in this thing. Um, We approach the scriptures as a whole, and I think there's always a redemptive purpose in this thing. And that's when I'm going to look at diatrophies from a different angle here in a few minutes. So this guy wants to have preeminence. He he forbids people to have anything to do with John and his people and John's writings, basically, because John says, I I wrote a letter to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence, did not receive us. So they didn't receive 1 John, if that's what the letter was. Could have been another letter. Could have been 2 John. I don't think so, because that was written to a woman. So anyway, so if I come, I'm going to deal with this guy. And then he says, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Of course, it's a no-brainer. Sure, you don't want to do what Diotrephes does. But how many times do we react to something evil and realize we become just as evil? What did Jesus say? Render to no one evil for evil. Right? not an eye for an eye, as Jesus died for all of our sins. So, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. So this Diotrephes really doesn't have a true revelation of God. He thinks he's serving the Lord, but he's not really. In his desire for preeminence, he's serving himself. And we're going to pause right there. Preeminence, according to Siri, on my phone says, preeminence is high status importance based on clear superiority. So a person that wants preeminence wants to have high status importance because they are clearly superior. That's not a good thing, right? But guess what? John used to be this way. Do you realize that? And it started with his mama. Go with me to Matthew 20. To have preeminence, you want to exalt yourself and you want to put others down. Right? I'm going to put you down to lift myself up. In the effort to lift myself up, 
I'm putting you down. This is what was happening. It started with his mama. So Matthew 20. Somebody want to, in a loud voice, read verses 20 to 27? All right, loud. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom those two sons of mine may sit, on one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. <laughs> but Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And we, we know this is an issue in the work world, in the workplace. People climbing the ladder, stepping on others to get way up. But it's also present in the church. And it's also present in the so-called fivefold ministry. A minister may go to a minister's meeting and people start introducing themselves. Hey, I'm Bob. Hey, I'm Dan. Hey, I'm Bill. Hey, I'm William. Hey, I'm I'm Ken Jones too, you know. And then there's always that one guy. I'm Doctor Brown, <laughs> or I'm the bishop. You know, just pulling rank like that. All right, go to Mark 10. If you think his mom's bad, look at what John did. Him and his brother, Mark 10. So we're zeroing in here from John, his brother, and his mother. And then we're going to move on to John and his brother. And then we're going to move on to John to see exactly what he was like. Mark chapter 10, verse 31 says, But, as many, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now John and his brother were there. They heard that. Did they pay attention to it? Not really. Look at verse 35. Can somebody read verse 35 through 44? And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) I love that line. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said unto them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I with I am and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. Okay, so they're still exalting themselves. Which came first, this occasion, and then Mama came along politicking for them, or afterwards? I'm not sure. But this is self-exalting, right? Wanting the preeminence. Because they believe Christ came to bring a kingdom. Now, they all misunderstood. They thought it was a political kingdom that was going to free them from the Roman domination. So that being the case, freedom from Roman domination wasn't enough for these boys. They wanted their own piece of the pie. They wanted to be the ambassadors for him, you know, kind of deal. All right, now, let's go to Luke chapter 9. Ninth chapter of Luke. It says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him, and said to them, Whoever receives this little child of my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. So, all right? Guys, it's all about humility, okay? <laughs> now here we're going to see John's true colors. <coughs> 49. John answered and said. Now he answers this statement about humility. You want to be great, become like a little child. <laughs> he answers and said, and he's going to become the tattletale. Master, we saw someone <laughs> casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Expecting to get a pat on the back, a promotion out of this deal, right? What does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is for us. Ouch. John, mind your own business. This is a young man wanting the preeminence, wanting to be in the inside lane. He's he's a kiss-up. <laughs> He didn't have the authority to tell him to stop. Anyway. All right, a few verses later. Verse 54. Well, let's just go ahead and continue reading. Verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, you know, it's about time for crucifixion. He set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, all right, to get a place for them to stay. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. They got offended because obviously he was Jewish and he was going to Jerusalem and they weren't going to help a Jew do their Jewish thing. It's traveling through and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us? <laughs> I think of Ted Knight on the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lord, do you want us to command fire 
to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did. Just, you know, speak the word. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. He had said, you know, if you're not received, kick the dust off your shoes and go to someplace else. They threw that to the wayside. Let's burn this place. (laughs) Now, let's cut John some slack. I don't want to beat him up. He was just a young guy. He obviously learned. And he definitely had a baptism to be baptized with. Got baptized in boiling oil, according to tradition. But the Lord's a great redeemer, right? So Diotrephes is going to get dealt with by the Lord in some way. And John's got a part to play in it. And sometimes when we see somebody off base, we may we may be the one the Lord uses to go and rebuke in love. And it may not work, but then again it might. But you may not get a chance to taste the fruit of it. More than once, the Lord has used me to help someone's life be changed, but I haven't got to taste the fruit of it because they're still kind of mad at me. But they got off their duff and got a job! (laughs) Or whatever it was they were doing, taking advantage of people in some way. Any comments? Afraid to say anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Afraid to say anything. Oh, no, 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 no. No. Demetrius, I mean, just take take heart. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but God's a great redeemer. Maybe somebody put diatrophies in authority and they shouldn't have. Paul said, don't lay hands on anyone suddenly. Which doesn't mean not to wrestle with somebody. It means to appoint someone with authority, ordaining them. Don't do it, because it's it's not good for them or anybody else. Yes? I was, gonna, I was just going to say, God dealt with me. I, I was a lot like John when I first entered the ministry, because we got called to Bangor, Maine, of all places. And... Here we were in California, we were among the Jesus people, and we sat among, at that time, some of the big teachers in Bible college and seminary that was out there, and we headed off to Bangor, Maine, and the newspaper came over to interview me, new pastor in town, you know, they, and here I am, puffing myself up like, Yes, I did this ministry, and yes, I was involved with this minister, and yes, I was involved with this ministry out there. <laughs> people in Maine never even heard of those people. <laughs> it was like, who? Who are you talking about? And it was like, talk about a humbling experience because, you know, but that was what I was doing. I was thinking, oh, I did all this. They're going to come flocking to my yeah. church here. Yeah, the name dropping didn't work. The, the name dropping did not work. <laughs> Because these people never heard the name, you know. Well, and it seems like there's natural-born leaders, and you see them arise in different venues. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're a leader in the kingdom of God. I mean, it would be nice, I guess, it would be nice if they could, but just because a person has leadership ability 
I don't know where God would use them, but I'm sure there's places he can be. But that isn't the criteria for leadership in the kingdom. It's, it's the, the greatest is a servant. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of John Jimenez. He was a pastor in the Rock Church here at Virginia Beach. And, and he was a, w- a wonderful guy. But when he felt, when he started getting feeling like he was being puffed up, he would go clean the toilets. Mm. And he didn't tell everybody, but he found somebody went in there and found a story. You know, on an off day, nobody was there. He was in there cleaning the toilet. So he, that was the way he dealt with it. It was just exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. All starts with humility. Yeah. Um, I'm not the kind of guy that Jesus comes and has coffee with me every day. <laughs> Visions and dreams don't happen real often. In fact, I don't know if a vision's ever happen. I just know stuff. Faith, you know, God gives you the gift of faith for a particular decision or whatever. But this particular day, I was in the throne zone in my office at the Country Love Theater. I mean, I'm like in God's face, and I'm just there, and I'm praying great things. About that time, the knock on my door, so I paused, got up and opened the door, and there was our landlord, Bob Smith, the bail bondsman. He said these words, the refrigerator you all left in the dumpster still has the compressor on it, and they're not going to come and get our trash to remove the compressor from the refrigerator you threw in there. So I thought, what in the world? How did they know there was a fridge in there? I I I was young and dumb back then. I mean, I've been here 24 years. I didn't come here. I wasn't born yesterday, but I wasn't born 40 years, you know, 70 years ago either. Um, so I thought, how did they know, even know a refrigerator was in there? He said, take the compressor off and put it beside the dumpster, and then we'll come and empty it. So I had to get in the dumpster, turn the refrigerator over. It was a small one. I mean, you couldn't even see the compressor on. It was on the bottom. I had to turn it over, getting garbage all over myself, took the compressor off, put it down beside the the thing, and then clean myself up the best I can and go home and take a shower and change clothes. And then on my way back to the church, I said, Lord, what was all all that about? And these words came to me and said, it's all about humility. One day I, I was going to work year, many years ago, and we had a marvelous Wednesday night service, and I was still rejoicing in it, and I was singing, and, and I saw these lights in the back, and this policeman pulled me over, and I got a speech ticket, and I said, Lord, what kind of light was that all about? I, I was rejoicing in you. I was being spiritual, but I was also speedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were, were you an officer at that time? No, no, he wasn't in uniform. Yeah. I wouldn't have told him probably. <laughs> All right, verse 11 again. We're almost done. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Reminded of the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. 
and from the truth itself. So everybody likes him, he's got a good reputation, and his life lines up with the truth. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. So who's Demetrius? He's the guy carrying this letter to Gaius. So he's praising Gaius, he's blasting Diotrephes, and now he's praising Demetrius, the guy, the mailman. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. We also bear witness to know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. He's probably 90 years old now. Of course he doesn't want to write much. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So the friends on this side are adding their greetings, and friends on that side, greet them for me. So your friends over here are saying hi, and we want our friends over there to know we're saying hi. So isn't that a cool little letter? Do good to people that are traveling, and this guy, I'm going to come deal with him, Diotrephe. So I don't know if John thought of his younger days. I don't know. But he was a potential Diotrephes, but the Lord dealt with him and didn't ordain him too quickly. Well, first of all, thanks, Pastor Allen. But actually I have kind of a – I would throw out something that, that has always puzzled me about this letter, and I wanted to back up to verse 6 and just see what the guys think about this phrase, which I've looked it up in several versions, and it always appears the same in every version I've looked in. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And I and I wonder about what what that means, a manner worthy of God. And Greg, I think it believes that you know to treat them in the way that you would treat God in the same way that you would treat God if you were sending him off, that, you know, not to do anything that you wouldn't go and do right in front of God himself at the throne. Or could it be representing God as implied in a manner worthy of representing God? Anybody else? Okay, Greg, tell us. What do you think? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually looking for input. I... I, I just think that that's such an interesting phrase that John uses and and that all the translations seem to use that exact same phrase, a manner worthy of God. And and I've always wondered about that. Yeah, well, he gives a reason because they went forth for God's name's sake. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably as generous as you can. What do you think? Something for for us to ponder. Yeah. Well, I think it's, to me, I think it's a lot in talking about, you can say a lot in words, but if your life isn't reflected of God, your words mean nothing. And I think walking worthy of God is walking worthy of him in not just words, but in how you're 
whole life is reflecting God's life in you. So works backing up the word. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's 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 not just the works. It's I am living what I believe. And yeah, call it works, call it faith without works is dead or whatever you want to, but in reality it's, you know, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their love. And I think, you know, walking worthy of God is saying I just, I'm not just out here to say, to say something to you, but I'm living what I'm preaching to you, or at least making every attempt to uh, walk worthy of that. Walk the talk. Walk the talk. Walk. Yeah. Are you walking in the truth? Yes. Are you living? I in like the it. I like that. Um. Can I read the really old King James version? <laughs> Verse six, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. <laughs> a godly sort. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you help them? The godly, the godly way of helping them, the, 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 the god, godly sort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sort. Um, means appropriate as well as worthy. But appropriate, appropriate for divinity, basically, because he's the word theos is there. Godly sword is appropriate for God in a manner appropriate for God. Wow. It's, it's probably always been like this since I'm in the beginning of. So, so we send a missionary on their way with very little. What kind of witness can they be? There you go. Yeah. If we want them all to take vows of poverty and live in shacks, I mean, I'm I'm getting on the prosperity bandwagon here. <laughs> Is that worthy of the gospel? <laughs> Obviously, there's some that have taken that truth to an extreme, both ways. Yes. And. Uh, Nobody wants to serve the Lord that can't pay their bills. Lord can't pay their bills. Who wants to serve the Lord? He's not taking care of you. And nobody wants to believe in a God that, you know, has this guy asking widows and orphans for enough money to buy something extravagant. You know, back in the 70s, we were helping a little bit, and, and we took a, when we, First were helping, they took us on a tour of um, World Vision, and I'll never forget what the one the one man said. And to me, it's it's has to do with this. And he was saying he spent years in India, and he says I can go over to India and I can preach on the street corners to the hungry, to the destitute. And they won't hear about Jesus. It will not comprehend. But if I go there and I give them something to eat and I clothe them and I help them up and I see you help them get medical care, 
they will know Jesus because they will have seen him working through me. And I think that's, to me, that's a manner worthy of God. Yeah, walking worthy. What would Jesus do? <laughs> I get, I hate to use yeah. that term sometimes. It gets misused all the time. Yeah. WWJD, but in this case, yeah. it applies. I, I remember. Um, this is the other extreme. You know, the, the high prosperity extreme. Uh, we had a huge rally in our city park here. Uh, one of our parks, and it was beamed by satellite into prisons across the nation. And the guest speaker, not the host, the guest speaker for the event got up and talked about how God was going to give him a jumbo jet. Not a, not a, not a jet, a jumbo jet. Because Ernest Ainsley had one. How does that help a guy in prison survive even hearing that? That's a manner that's not worthy of God. But then the other extreme, you know, God, keep our preacher humble and we'll keep him poor. That kind of <laughs> yeah. I've been there. <laughs> There's also a scripture, I'm not sure exactly where it is in the New Testament, where Paul's talking to brothers and he says, a brother or sister comes to you and they need food and they need clothes. You don't just greet them and shake their hand and send them on their way. You know? Yeah, be blessed. Pray, be blessed. Be warm. Be filled. Yeah. Yeah. Today we would say, "I'll pray for your brother." Right. <laughs> yeah. I'll be thinking about you and praying for you. Yeah. You have the means to meet that need, and you fail to do it. No, that's a blessing not worthy of God. Yeah. Or appropriate to represent God. That's good.